0: morning uh, I've got a message on my heart. It's a one-word one message. Stop. Very easy message. Stop. Um, so for some of those that's, you know, taking notes or maybe taking notes on your smartphone, uh, you can just write in bold letters, stop. And then you can put your phones away. You can put your, your notebooks away. Because to this morning I want to not speak to your minds, I don't want to transfer knowledge this morning to you guys, but I want to speak to your heart, sir. I want to speak to your heart, ma'am. I'm not here to transfer knowledge, but I want to speak to our hearts this morning. Are you ready? Because we're living in a crazy time and a crazy world where everything is about efficiency, doing more with less, getting more done with less resources, with less time. It's a time of everything is go, 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 be busy, keep busy, don't waste time. You don't want to waste time because time is money and you don't want to lose any of that, right? It's about going, 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 constantly being busy, constantly being, having something to do. And we're forced in this world to go in and learn certain routines and get into certain habits. Why? Because if we get into a routine, if we get into a habit, then it becomes like muscle memory and we don't have to think about what we do anymore, so we've got more capacity to think about other things so we can do this great thing called multitasking. But a lady called Caroline Leaf, she's dedicated her life to the area of neuroscience. She's proven that multitasking actually damages the brain. The brain is most effective when it focuses on one singular thing, when it's focused on one thing only. So we wonder why... um, our kids, when they come to teenage stage or whatever, they're running around and they've got ADHD and DDHP and KKLY, all these names, we give, give these things, but when they're young, we, we feed them while putting the TV on, while talking to them, while giving them a book on the other side, while giving them a toy in their hand to play with, and they grow up multitasking, doing all these things, and they wonder why when they're teenagers, they can't focus on one thing but we've trained them in such a way that they can't. And then we look to the doctors, and I love doctors, but we look to the doctors to then come and solve this problem, give my child the pull to solve it. Crazy time we're living in. We're living in a time where AIDS, is, AIDS is, is going rampant, and we're going to doctors to try and help us to get a cure. But if we would just simply stop having sex out of marriage, premarital sex... Within a couple of generations, age would be gone. We're causing problems and then we're trying to get the solutions to it. Are you here with me this morning? But our lives are so driven. It's, it's everything about being driven, going for success. Don't waste a moment. And we get into these routines and Monday morning we wake up and we have our coffee and we brush our teeth and we go to work and we work hard and we work late and we come home and we are tired and we eat, we watch a bit of TV and we go to bed. Tuesday morning we wake up. We have our coffee, we brush our teeth, we go to work. We work hard, we work late, we come home, we eat. We watch a bit of TV, watch some series, we go to bed. Wednesday morning, we wake up, drink our coffee, we brush our teeth, we go to work, we work hard, we work late, we come home, we're tired, we eat, watch a bit of TV, go to bed. Thursday morning, same thing. Friday morning, we wake up, drink our coffee, brush our teeth, go to work, work late, come home, eat watch some TV, go to bed. Saturday morning, maybe sleep a little bit later, wake up, still have coffee, brush your teeth. Then we go, to the, uh, we go to the shopping malls to spend some of the money, the hard-earned money that we've been slaving away for in the weeks. We go and spend Saturday afternoons, come home, maybe watch a bit more TV, go to bed, rugby. Sunday morning, we wake up because we're in a routine. We wake up, we get our coffee, we, we brush our teeth. We come to church because that's what we used to do. We stand here and we raise our hands and we sing our songs. And we listen to a nice message, and afterwards we say, wow, what a nice message. And we get in the car, and before we pass Pine Creek, we've forgotten about the message. Because we're so focused on the next thing on the agenda, having food ready, having another series to watch, having to prepare for Monday morning. And the weeks come, and the weeks go, and the months come, and the months go, and the weeks come, and the the years come, and the years go. And the life is flashing in front of our eyes like this. We are busy, busy, busy. We're digging like a trench for ourselves with these routines. And this morning the message is stop. 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 Think what we are doing. Think why we are doing what we are doing. Think who are we doing the things that we are doing for. Observe. Is there any eternal value in the things that we are doing? And then pray, prayerfully proceed. Stop. Think. Observe. Pray for you. Proceed. Can we pray this morning before we continue? Father God, Lord, have mercy on us this morning, God. Hallelujah. Father God, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth, in our hearts this morning, as it is in heaven, Lord. Give us today our daily bread, Lord, and give us our trespasses, God, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, Lord, but deliver us from evil and the evil one. Lord, have your way, Lord. Have your way here this morning, God. Your kingdom come, your will be done here in our hearts this morning as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to read for us this morning from the book of Joel, if that's okay. If it's not a okay. cam. any case going to do it. Why? Why do we look at the book of Joel? A little bit of background before I get into it. Joel is one of the Old Testament books. It's found in the Old Testament. It's only got three chapters, a very short book, but a jam-packed book, powerful book. Joel was one of the minor prophets. You get the major prophets and minor prophets. Joel was one of the minor uh, prophets. We don't know a lot about Joel, except that he was the son of Petiel, which is his father. That doesn't help us a lot because we don't know what or who Batil was. But one thing we do know about Joel is that he was a biblical scholar because in the book of Joel, he quotes and he gives reference to the other prophets. So he must have been reading the other scriptures, the other prophets. And we know also that in the book of Acts, after the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out onto the believers in the upper room, Peter came out completely changed, completely a new person. He was timid now with the Holy Spirit in him, becoming a bold person, and he shares his first message with a whole lot of people, and he quotes from the book of Joel. He says, in those days, God would pour out his Spirit on all people, young and old, men and women. The young people will see um, visions, the old people will dream dreams, and on my main service and on my main service, I will pour out my Spirit in those days, and I shall prophesy. Peter was quoting Joel and saying, saying to the people, this was a fulfillment of what Joel was speaking about—the prophecy of Joel. So, why are we speaking about Joel this morning? Well, firstly, I'm convicted in my heart, and I believe that God led me to the book of Joel when I was praying and I was prepping for the message, asking God, "What, Lord, what do you want to say to us in this time? What do you want to say?" And I really believe the message this morning, the book from the book of Joel, is a message for us in season, and I've can humbly say, it, I believe it's not only for us. Uh, in his and not only for us as shofar but I believe it's a message for the whole of South Africa. Every believer in South Africa should hear this message, because it's a message in season. Why do I I say that? I say that because in the Book of Joel there's this theme, this overwhelming theme that that that, that Joel speaks about, and he speaks about the Day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. And if there's ever been a time that we as said Africans should be reminded about the day of the Lord, it is a time such as this. And Joel refers to two days of the Lord. He refers to one day of the Lord that's just recently passed. It's something fresh in the minds of the people, the audience that he's speaking to. A day of destruction. And then he speaks about another day that's coming, and that's the judgment day when Jesus Christ is coming back for his bride, and he's coming back to judge the world. Are you with me this morning? I mean, let's let's have a look at it. Let's have a look at these two days. The first day that Joel refers to in the book, he speaks about a a day of destruction. He speaks about these locusts. There was a time, and it was very fresh in the minds of the people, the audience that he was speaking to, and in the the land, uh, because at the time, locusts were completely flooding the land. There was a plague of locusts. Now, I'm not talking about a hundred or a thousand. I'm talking about millions of locusts flying over the land, and literally devouring everything in their sight. You could literally, it was the, the locusts were so many that you could literally look at your crops, and you could see it being eaten away. You could see how, it, how it's being diminished. Millions and millions of locusts. So, so much so that the land was completely desolate, and because of the desolation, there was a famine, obviously, and because of the famine, there was a, there was a drought in the land. Because of the drought, there was nothing, it was just dry, so the, these fires would just spontaneously erupt, and whatever was left would be burned to pieces. There would be loss of life, people were dying, animals were dying. The book of Joel, they say in these, these locusts, these flying locusts, they would come and they would eat the crops and destroy the crops, and when they're done, they would uh, lay their eggs. Like in a, in a 30 by 30 square area, they say the... the the locusts laid 60,000 eggs, 60,000 eggs in like a short, like in a small area. Then those locusts would move on to the next crop, and in a week or two, that eggs would hatch, and they will be like crawling little locusts. And whatever the, the flying locusts couldn't eat, the crawling locusts would devour and eat. So there really wasn't anything left after this plague came through. Let me read to you from the book of Joel as he describes it. Joel 1, verse 2 to 12. Has anything like this happened in your day? Has anything like this happened in your days, or even in the days of your father? Tell your children about it. Let your children tell their children, and their children another generation. What he's saying is, this thing is so great, that this will be told for generations to come, about this day, this destruction that we've just faced. What the chewing locusts left, the swarming locusts, has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the crawling locust has eaten. And what the crawling locust left, the consuming locust has eaten. Awake, you drunkards, and weep, and wail, all you drinkers of wine, because of the new wine, for it has been cut off from your mouth. For a nation has come up against my land, strong and without number. His teeth are the teeth of a lion, and he has the fangs of a fierce lion. He has laid waste my vine, and ruined my fig tree. He has stripped it bare and thrown it away. Its branches are made white. Lament like a virgin girded in sackcloth for the husband of a youth. Lament meaning mourn, weep bitterly like a newly wedded wife would weep if a newly wedded husband had just passed away. Mourn bitterly. The grain offering and the drink offering have been cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn who ministered to the Lord. The field lay waste. Why would the priests mourn? The priests mourn because at the time you you couldn't own land. Everything was rented because they believed the land was owned by God. So everybody would rent. No one owned land. And the first crop, the first harvest would be an offering unto God, would be given unto God to thank Him for the land, being able to occupy the land. But without a crop, there is no first offering. There is no first harvest. So the people were mourning, they were weeping, they were wailing because... What could now forgive their sins? What could redeem them? They've got nothing to offer. The priests are mourning. They've got nothing. They've got no oil. They've got nothing to sacrifice unto God for their sins. The land mourns, for the grain is ruined. The new wine is dried up. The oil fails. Be ashamed, you farmers. Wail and you vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley. Because the harvest of the field has perished. The wine has dried up. And the fig tree was sh- has withered. The pomegranate tree... The palm tree also, and the apple tree. All the trees of the field are withered. Surely joy has withered away from the Son of men. The question is how can we relate to this passage of Joel this morning? Can we relate as South Africans? Can we relate to this passage? Total destruction, total devastation. You know, as South Africa, we are currently in one of the worst droughts that we've ever been in as a country. Farmers are losing their crops, cattle are dying. People have lost their lives. We're, in a sense, in a a famine as such. The Western Cape has just experienced one of the most severe storms, one of the greatest storms. Hail and rain and winds that brought destruction. Loss and even death to some people. We just uh, recently had all these fires going up the garden route like devouring everything in its way, killing vegetation, killing animals, again, people losing their lives. When we look at what is going on in the politics, it's chaotic, it's crazy. A lot of uncertainty in our politics at the moment. Can we relate to the book of Joel and what has been happening in their, their time? If we look at the economy, uh, um, economy in South Africa is not doing really great, for the first time, we've been thrown into junk status. Any good man, any good Christian, any good one of us, the prayer in our heart is, Lord, what should we do? What is our response in a time such as this? Said Africans, what are, is our response? Surely as Christians, our response should be different than the world. Surely as Christians, we should not run around like headless chickens. Surely God has got an answer for us in a time such as this. Not, not so? Is the, is the answer to flee? Is the answer to run away? Is the answer to, to immigrate? Is that the answer? With all respect, I want to say good luck, sir. Good luck, ma'am. Because you can't flee this thing. Economics, politics in the whole, around the whole world is crazy at this stage. You can't flee from this thing. And I don't believe God is telling us to run away from problems, to run away from challenges. It's mostly looking greener on the other side because there's more manure there. So we ask God, what is the solution? And he answers us in the book of Joel. He he tells us what we should do. In just the next verses, verses 13 and 14, I want to read to you. Gird yourselves and lament, you priests. Wail, you who minister, before the altar. God says, leaders, priests, pastors, it starts with you. You need to weep. Weep for what? You need to mourn. Mourn for what? You need to lament. Lament for what? Because of the sin that is in the nation. Because of the sin that is within the church. Sin is not okay. Joel looked at this destruction that took place in his, his time, and he was reminded back of what happened in Egypt when God sent the locust to destroy the Egyptians so that he could free his people from Egypt, right? Do you remember that? And Joel is reminded of this, and he draws the conclusion that surely something as great as this can only be of God. These locusts, this destruction could only be of God, but this time it's a judgment on his people. It's not a judgment on the enemy anymore, it's a judgment on his people. And he says, Why? Why is it God judging his people? Because of the sin that's not in the land, in the country primarily, but in the church, in the people, in his own nation. Could it be, and I'm saying this with all respect to people that have people in, in the Western Cape or, or the Garden Route that has lost lives or lost things. Could it be that God is allowing in his infinite wisdom, He is allowing this destruction, he's allowing the floods, he's allowing the fires, he's allowing the, the chaos in our politics, he's allowing the economy, economic things that's happening. Because he's actually giving us opportunity to turn back to him. Could it be that God is allowing what he could easily stop preventing his power? He's allowing in his wisdom because he's saying, guys, if you continue in this path, in your comfort, you're going to doom. You're going to get messed up. And I'm allowing these things to happen so that you can be shaken, so that you can stop, so that you can think, what are we busy doing? Why are we doing the things we're doing? Who are we doing it for? To observe if there's any value, any eternal value in the things that we so sacrifice our lives towards. And then to come back to a place of prayer and, and prayerfully proceed. I'm not saying God is causing these things. I'm just saying it's a simple principle of sowing and reaping. We're reaping in sin and we, we say, uh, we, we're sowing in sin and we're reaping destruction in a nation. And we're asking, why is these things happening? But all over. There's so much sin going on in our country, so much bloodshed, so much corruption, so much hatred, so much evil, not only in the, out there in the world, but here in our congregation, amongst us, in our hearts, so much sin, but we're asking, why are these things happen? Could it be that God is allowing it to happen because of His goodness, so that we can actually turn? Could it be? question is, what shall we do? I want to continue to read there. Come lie all night in sackcloth, you minister to my God, for the grain offering and the drink offering are withheld from the house of the Lord. Consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God, and cry out to your to the Lord. The message is clear. The message is to come back. God is calling us back. What should we do? He's calling us to a place of prayer. He's calling us a a place of repentance. He's calling us to a place of returning to Him and crying out firstly for our own sins and the sins within our hearts. Then for the sins that's happening in our church. Then for the sins that's happening in the body of Christ in our nation. Then He's calling us to intercede. Intercede means to stand in the gap on behalf of someone, on behalf of the nation. To say, God, have mercy on us, Lord. Because as a nation, we are causing destruction to come upon ourselves. As a nation, we are losing the plot. God, we have lost the fear of God. There is, we have lost the fear of God. We have lost the reverence to God. We are so okay with sin. Sin is so okay. Never mind when our neighbors sin, that we mourn and it, and it concerns us and it, it, we can't lift this heaviness on our hearts, but we actually join them in the sin. Crazy time that we are in where sin has become so nonchalant. God, God is calling us back to a place where we would actually, in holy reverence to Him, walk away from sin. And there's some of us here that's in willful disobedience to God. Some of us are in willful sin, meaning you continue in your sin, and before you go to bed at night, you say, God, I'm sorry, and you see your conscience and you think it's okay. But I'm telling you this morning, with all the love in my heart, it's not okay, sir. Sin is not Okay. The time to play around with sin has got to stop. We can't mess around anymore and spit in God's face and then expect Him to forgive us when we run to the evenings we run to Him just so that we can have a nice peaceful evening of rest and of sleep. God says, repent and I will forgive you. Repent. Repent means I'm going in this direction and I'm stopping. It's the word metanoia, meaning 180 degrees, turn around, and I'm going in the other direction. I'm running away from my old. I'm not turning back. I'm stopping with what I'm doing. The lady has committed adultery. God said, do these people condemn you? Neither do I condemn you. And then he said this powerful thing. He says, go and sin no more. Because he releases grace over her to repent, to return away from her sin. And he says, you're forgiven, but there's a condition. Go and sin no more. I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. Don't sin and run back to the same sin over and over. God is looking at our hearts, people. Are we repenting in our hearts? Do we have a real urgency in our hearts to turn away from sin? Or, or are we so enjoying this sin, we're so liking it, that we actually have no desire really to turn away, but we'll say sorry, sorry God. And we expect Him to forgive us. Unfortunately, I have to tell you the truth this morning. You are not forgiven. If you don't have true repentance in your heart, if you just got worldly sorrow and godly sorrow, are completely two different things. Worldly sorrow says, Oh, I've been caught out. I feel bad because people have seen me done something wrong. Godly sorrow cuts us to the heart. And it causes us to change the way we live. To change the way we do life. So God is calling us to a place of prayer and intercession. But unfortunately, you know what I'm seeing when I'm, when, I'm, when I'm looking at Christians and believers? Instead of prayer, coming back to Him and repenting and mourning before Him because of sin, that's so bugging us, sin in our nation, is so bugging us that we want to weep, we want to cry out because of the reverend God we serve, holy God, be holy for I am holy, says God. Who can ascend the holy heel of God? He who is God. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. God is holy and He's calling us to be holy. He's calling us holy means to be separated. It means to be separated onto God. To live differently. To be different. We should stand out in the world. if we we look like the world, we talk like the world, we act like the world, guess what? You're probably still in the world. We are called to separation. But when I look at Christians, I see, what I see is I see complacency and I see complaining. For some reason, as Christians, we think we've got this license to complain. I don't know where it stands in which book of the Bible, but I still need to find it. That it says, Christians, just complain. Because when we drive out, We love to complain. We love to complain about the potholes in this town. We love to complain about the weather. It's too cold or it's too warm. It's too humid. We love to complain. We love to complain about the politics. We love to complain about the government. We love to complain about President Zuma. We love to curse him. We love to speak death over him. But in my Bible, it says that all authority has been appointed by God. All authority. Stephen, do you mean President Zuma is also appointed by God? Yes. This is what the scripture is saying, not what I'm saying. All authority has been pointed by God. The scripture says, Pray for your leaders. Why? So that you may have peace in your land. But for some reason, we, we're reading another Bible that says, Curse the leaders, rebuke your leaders, rebuke authority. Go against them. Rebel against them. That's the way. And what we reap is destruction and we wonder why. When last have you prayed for President Zuma and asked God to bless him? When last have you prayed for President Zuma and asked God to give him wisdom to lead the country? When last have you prayed for President Zuma and asked for grace on his life that he would turn and his heart would be convicted and he would be reconciled to Christ? When last have we prayed for President Zuma that he would too also be saved and experience the love of God? When last have we prayed for him? A blessing upon his his life. But we love to curse. Hello? Crazy times we're living in. God is calling us to repentance. The second day of the Lord Joel is speaking about is the coming day. And if there's ever a time that we as South Africans, as believers, should be reminded of a time, that the coming day of God, it is now. So that we can wake up to the reality that Jesus Christ is coming back, and He's coming back soon. And we don't know when He's coming. He could come this afternoon, He could come tonight, He could come tomorrow. We don't know when He's coming back. But one thing that Joel makes clear in the book here, is that whatever destruction, whatever chaos we are seeing today in our country what they've been seeing, the devastation of the land, the complete destruction that they've been seeing. Joel says, what you're experiencing currently is nothing. It is nothing. It is not a blip on the map compared to the day of the Lord when He's going to come and He's going to judge. He's going to come and He's going to bring judgments on the nations and He's going to, uh, on that day, He's going to save His body, us Christians, but He's going to Bring destruction to the nations. He says, nothing can compare to that day. No destruction. The destruction that we see today is, you can't compare to the day of the Lord when he's coming. And this is what blows my mind. We're only speaking about the day. The day that Jesus is coming back. When he will judge. And people will be standing millions. A lot of people, the scripture says currently, a lot of people are standing in the valley of decision. But on that day, they won't have any more decision. The only decision would be the decision of God to send them into eternal damnation, into eternal lake of fire. And we're not even speaking about what's going to happen for eternity. The destruction is going to happen in eternity in hell, where there will be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, where your body will be be burning away, alive, you'll be burned, your body will be burned. And worms would be eating your flesh alive. And when the last piece of flesh on your body is eaten, and when you die, immediately you'll come back to life again and you'll go through the same process for eternity. I can't even think about it. I can't even try and imagine what that must be like. If there's ever time for us as Africans to wake up to the reality of God and the judgment that is coming, it is now. Listen to what Joel is saying. Joel 2 verse 1 to 3 and then we go to 6 and 11. Blow the trumpet in Zion. The trumpet, what is the trumpet? The trumpet is the ram's horn. It's called the shofar. We are shofar Christian church. Blow the trumpet. The trumpet, in this case, the the shofar, the ram's horn, is not an instrument used to sing melodies or to make music. It's an instrument to call people. It's an alarm. It's an alarm that sounds out. It's a voice that proclaims, come back. It's a voice that calls people to repentance. It's a voice that calls people to come and pray. And reconciled with God. It's a voice that calls people to war. Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming. For it is at hand a day of darkness and gloomness. A day of cloud and thick darkness. Like the morning cloud spread over the mountain. A people come great and strong. Like the like of whom has never been. Never been. Nor will there ever be such after them even for many successive generations. God speaking about His army on the day of judgment is going to flood the land. A fire devoured before them and behind them flames burn a land like Garden of Eden before them and behind them desolation. It will be like Eden green before them. When they pass, there will be nothing left. It will be destruction, desolation. A wilderness. Surely nothing shall escape them. Before them the people wry in pain all faces are dried of color, drained of color. They run like mighty men. They climb the wall like men of war. Everyone marches in formation, and they do not break rank. They do not push one another. Everyone marches in his own column. Though they lunge between the weapons, they are not cut down. They run to and fro in the city. They run on the wall. They climb in the houses. They enter the windows like a thief. The earth quakes before them. The heavens tremble. Even the heavens tremble. The sun and the moon grow dark, and the stars diminish their brightness. The Lord gives voice before his army. For his camp is very great. For strong is the one who executes his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. The day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? The question this morning is, what do we do? What should we do that on this day, on this coming day, that we are saved? That we are the ones part of the bride of Christ that's taken up into eternity with him. What should we do? What should we do? Again, in the next verses, Joel gives us the answer. Prophet Joel speaking, chapter 2, verse 12 to 13, and 15 to 16. Now therefore says the Lord, turn to me with all your hearts, with fasting and weeping, and with mourning. What should we do? Turn to him with all our hearts, with fasting and weeping. So rend your hearts and not your garments. Isn't this beautiful? Rend your hearts and not your garments. God is looking into our hearts. He's looking into our hearts. He's not looking into our hands that's going up and praising Him. He's not looking into our mouth that speaks things. He's not looking into empty actions. He's looking into our hearts because at the time, people would, if they were very distort or something happened that blasphemed God, they would tear their garments. But God says, stop with that nonsense. Stop with the outward. What is happening in your heart? I'm interested in what happens, what's happening in your heart. Turn to me with all your heart. Turn to the Lord your God. And this is beautiful. Why turn to Him? Why do we come to God? Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. You might say to me this morning, Stephen, this is a message of doom and gloom, this is a message of condemnation, this is a message of whatever. I'm telling you this morning this is a message of grace, this is a message of love, this is a message of compassion, this is a message of God's goodness. Because we still live in this time that we have got an opportunity to turn. I can either stand up here this morning and tell you the truth and say to you, turn while you've still got time, or I can tingle your ears and say to you, great, carry on into hell. I'm choosing the former to say to you, let us turn from our wicked ways because God is gracious and He's waiting for us to come back to Him. He's standing with open arms for us to come back to Him. As a nation of South Africa, He's calling us to come back to Him. We've got opportunity. This is a message of love, of grace. Again, He says, blow the trumpet in Zion. Blow the shofar. So this morning, I want to ask you, where are your intercessors? Where are your intercessors? Where are your prayer warriors? Where are your watchmen and watchwomen are supposed to be standing on the wall? Where are you? Because you know, we've got a prayer meeting every Sunday afternoon, 3.30, just next door here. Johnny's been faithful every time he's been there. I've only been there twice, so I'm speaking to myself as well. But how can it be if I come to the meeting, the prayer meeting, that I see five, six, maybe eight people? Maybe this morning we're about 200 people here. This evening another 100 people. We're more than 300 in this congregation. But on a Sunday morning, when it comes to prayer, Sunday afternoon, when it comes to prayer, we can't even get 10 people to pray. How can it be? Is it just me? Or is there something fundamentally wrong? When God is calling us as a nation to pray, we complain out there, but when he says pray, we turn out as a handful of 10. But 300 complain in the week, but 10 turn out and come to pray. It's just me. Oh, Stevie, I'm busy. I've got a lot of things. I've got kids. So what? What is the priority on your life? The mission this morning is stop. Think. What are we doing? Why are we doing what we're doing? Who are we doing what we're doing for? Observe. Is there any eternal value in the things that we're currently busy doing? Then it's to come before God and to pray. To prayerfully proceed. To pray, God have mercy on us, Lord. Because we've missed the plot. But of your good grace, you're so gracious, God, you're allowing us to come back. Come on, guys. Surely we can get more than 10 people at a prayer meeting. This afternoon, 3.30, we'll be praying. If you're serious about God and about this nation, if you're really concerned, you would be there. Consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Sanctify means that Jesus, he sanctifies us, yes, with his blood, but like I said, we need to repent. We need to get away from sin. We need to run away from sin. We need to do everything possible to get sin out of our lives and out of our congregation and out of our country because sin is not okay. God is not okay with sin. He hates sin, and He wants us to have the same hatred towards sin. It is not okay to sin, and it does not please God, and we cannot hide our sin from God. But God wants us to come to Him, and He will cleanse us as pure as snow, as white as snow, remove our dirty, filthy things. But He says, Repent. Assemble the elders. Start with the leaders. Leaders. It starts with us. Leaders. And then he says, gather the children and the nursing babes. Gather the children and the nursing babes. Stephen, I've got children. I can't come to intercession. Why not? Bring them with. Who said that intercession should be a perfect place where there's no noise, where there's no kids running around? When I remember Jesus calling the children to come to him. When the Pharisee says, keep them away. No, you're bothering Jesus. He said, come. So what if the children are running around and we're having intercession? So what if you come and you bring your children with and you can't even pray because you're just playing with the children, but you're there? You know, God is not limited by you having to pray. He sees your heart coming and committing to Him, and He can move nations because of that. He doesn't need you and I to pray, but He needs our hearts to be committed to Him. And when you come to intercession, even with your children, and you don't say one word, but you were there, you committed in your heart. God can move the mountains because you've come. We should stop making everything perfect, and just respond with our hearts. It's okay; if it's chaos. In the prayer meetings, but let's render our hearts to God. Let's come to Him before Him and say, "Lord, we don't have to come and have perfect prayers. We don't have to come and pray sermons. God is just asking for the one-liners. God, have mercy on us. God, have Your grace on us, Lord. Are You with me this morning?" So this is the message. This is this message this morning. Stop. Let's stop with our daily routines. Let's stop and just rushing through life. Y'all, you know, one day come and pray when my children are older. Oh, well, that's like 18 years down the line. Can it be? Is that the way that it's supposed to be? That God would bless you with children so you can 18 years not come to pray? <laughs> just doesn't make sense to me. But we'll make plans if we want to rock the, watch rugby, we'll take the children with. If we want to go to a show, we'll organize babysitters. We'll go to great lengths to do, go into pleasures. But when it comes to prayer, oh, I've got children. I've got things to do. Guys, let's not fool ourselves any longer. Let's wake up, church. Let's stop, think what we are doing, why we are doing, who are we doing this for. Let's observe all the things that we are doing. Does it have any eternal value? I don't know when your time has come. I don't know when my time has come. We don't know when God has come. I could drive home and be in an accident and be, be dead. Today is what I'm sacrificing my life towards. does it have any eternal value. And let's turn, guys. Let's pray for you, Proceed.